This is a Soulfire production. Yo, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Politically Homeless. A little rusty. I have been dealing with uh, a series of vertigo, or about a vertigo, I guess you'd say, for the past three or four days. Such a weird feeling. A terrifying feeling, really, when you don't know. It just kind of comes out of nowhere, right? It's like <laughs> I wake up on Monday morning, and I'm like, yay, and I go to you know walk to the bathroom and then just fall into the wall as if I just got off like the Tilt-A-Whirl or something. It was so weird. Uh, and I put out kind of a request of like, Hey, does anybody know what the fuck is going on? Cause I need some help. And the response was great. Everybody was, even if they, if they didn't have any advice or, and of course, like some people thought it was chemtrails. Some people, uh, you know, there was some pretty outlandish things that were happening, uh, in my DMS, but a lot of people really sent me some, uh, some good stuff. And I appreciate that. If I didn't get back to you, it's cause I got literally hundreds of messages because I have an amazing audience that is really helpful, whatever. I am in need, and I was very much in need. It's it's scary, really. I mean, at first it was like, oh, what? Like I must have just stood up too fast, whatever. And then it was like, oh, my, do I have a brain tumor? Like, what, <laughs> what is going on here? So do I need a CAT scan? Like, maybe I do. I don't know. But things have gotten a little bit better now, um, and I appreciate you guys. So we're, of course, late on the show. I couldn't – one thing you guys don't see on the videos and stuff is me looking back and forth at, from screen to screen – uh, with the external monitor here and the camera, and so I've really got three points of uh, of look of um, focus when I'm doing my thing here, uh, and you don't again don't see that on the video because Josh is a great editor and takes that stuff out. But um, just trying to do that, moving my head to the right from the right to the left would send me into just kind of a tailspin. Um, so here we are. Yesterday I was about eighty percent, but it was still a little wonky. About two o'clock I hit the wall, so. Trying to get this one done early enough to where if I do have an afternoon bout, um, then I'll be all right. But again, I just appreciate you guys so much. A lot of things have happened, and this is I think this is actually going to be a really good show. We've got a lot of really interesting topics to dive into today. Uh, so much has been going on. It's been a really, really busy week, actually. So uh, some things we're not going to cover that I want to kind of gloss over here. Uh, the mandates, the, the Biden mandates were overturned. Uh, by a 5-4 decision in the Supreme Court. That's great. I know a lot of people that didn't want to get vaccinated got vaccinated because of that mandate. And now you're seeing uh, Carhartt make one decision and and uh, Starbucks make a different decision, right? Starbucks got rid of their vaccine mandate for workers and, and Carhartt uh, maintained it, which is weird. You would think it would actually be the opposite, but that's what it is. And I think one of the things, you know, the, the government was really taking the heat for a lot of these companies for making the decision for them. And now the companies are going to be, you know, having to make the decision for themselves. And it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Because what happened was we had a hashtag boycott Starbucks and the same day we had a boycott uh, Carhartt from two different sides of the country for completely opposite reasons or the same reason, right? <laughs> it's one, one company was like, we don't, you don't need to be vaccinated to work here because it's none of our fucking business. And everybody's like, ah, I'm not ever, I'm never buying a latte from Starbucks again. And then you have, you know, Carhartt being like, you gotta be vaccinated to work here. And then, you know, people that actually wear a Carhartt, a lot of them, um, well, I don't know, Carhartt's kind of a trendy brand now, but freaking out and saying, oh, let's boycott uh, Carhartt for their decision that they made, which is just cancel culture on both sides. Um, 
you know, I mean, vote with your dollars. Do what you want to do. I don't really go to Starbucks very often unless I'm on the road traveling. It's kind of a great travel stop because it's consistently mediocre. Um, but I, you know, like to support small businesses myself personally. But I do own a little bit of Carhartt here and there. And I used to actually wear Carhartt to do Carhartt shit back in the early days of my life. But nonetheless, here we are. I will say Carhartt does make the best hoodies, though. They are the most comfortable, warm, like, thick, robust hoodies. I think I still have a hoodie that I bought for work when I was, like, 19, like, at my parents' house in the closet somewhere. (laughs) Those things are fantastic. But, you know, they're made by people that are vaccinated, I guess. And here's where I'm getting to with this, you know. It's like I get put in this camp of of anti-vaxxer or I think Bill Gates is putting microchips and shit. It's been a really interesting, and we're going to talk about this a little bit because Don Lemon had some comments and then uh, Matt Taibbi wrote a great article about the vaccine aristocrats and what's going on. At the end of the day, I really just kind of want to be left alone to like make up my, like I didn't have anybody yelling at me over flu shots, you know, a couple of years ago. Like I just would walk past the flu shot sign and like I just never felt it was necessary. I, I, get prescribed, you know, uh, like we're going through IVF right now. And I'm going to go into more into depth later on with the Don Lemon uh, uh, segment, but I get, I get prescribed hydrocodone to deal with pain for a minor procedure. And I just don't take it. Like it's, you know, I don't like to take oral antibiotics because of my, you know, healthy gut bacteria. <laughs> I don't want to have to like replenish that unless it's absolutely necessary. Like there's these things that, that these decisions that I've made that no one really, what's upset about or no one really even knew because it was none of their fucking business. And yeah, I don't really think there's, I don't think there's microchips in the vaccine and I, you know, maybe it is part of the great reset. I don't know, but that's not even really my, that's not my dog in the fight is just, Hey man, like I want to make my own decisions about what I want to do with my own body. And I don't think that's a problem. And I, and I end up in the situation where I get so heated about what's going on because it seems so, I mean, I don't anti what I believe in as far as like liberty, but it doesn't have that much to do with my actual politics. So I'm in this kind of conundrum. I've been, you know, we've been so, I had our heels so dug in in this, in this situation that it, it's, it's, it's kind of, um, got me, had me like frothed up, you know, and, and really frustrated and, and angry and resentful and bitter. And I'm, I'm really in a place now and I maybe, you know, may recommend this to people who have feel the same way is just reevaluating reevaluating how I, how I not literally my choices, but kind of, um, and just saying like, Hey, what am I doing here? You know, what am I doing here? Is this worth my time? Is it worth my energy to like, to just, to double down on this constantly? I mean, I'm going to, if, if anybody, (laughs) if anybody from the left, the right, is calling the other half of the country idiots, uh, I'm probably going to say something about that regardless of whether it's vaccine related or not. You know, um, that's really more my, my principled stance, but, I'm trying to find the new equilibrium with this shit because one, it's just fucking exhausting. Like it's just exhausting. And, and I can have an, an educated conversation about things and, you know, go on and on, but I don't, um, I don't know. I just, I just don't feel like being super fucking pissed anymore, you know? And I think maybe things are easing up. You're seeing, you know, I, I think the Starbucks decision is huge. Cause that's a company that does really like virtue signal and it's generally a pretty solid company. You know, they, they, they send some of their employees to college. They give them opportunities. Now many of them are being unionized, which Starbucks hates, but I think is great for a workforce as large as they have to have a voice and collective bargaining. And we're going to talk about a little bit of that later down the road as well. But I'm just trying to, um, to really reassess like where my, attention lies because I think there's just bigger things. And I've known that from the beginning. There are bigger things to talk about 
But it's just it, the, the, these, this vaccine COVID stuff is just like sucked all the air out of the room. And I know it, it's also in this place and just kind of like how the sausage is made behind the scenes where those videos and those segments and those episodes get the most downloads and get the most views. And I've got to constantly be checking myself. And I think part of being intellectually honest is always trying to kind of disprove your own thoughts, you know, your own opinions and challenging those internally. I think that's a strength that, that, that people can develop through simple mindfulness practices and, and, you know, just challenging yourself. And I don't think a lot of people do that, but I also was having a conversation with someone today, a friend of mine who's 19 years old and, and uh, goes to school in Boulder. So it's like a super liberal area. And, I forget, you know, a lot of these kids that people are so mad about that Ben Shapiro thinks it's worth making videos about reacting to their woke TikToks, right? These like 19, 20 year old kids who are in college, like they weren't around for 9-11. They weren't really around for Iraq and Afghanistan and the lies and the, and the expansion of, of, of the surveillance state and Assange and Snow. Like, they, they didn't see these things, right? So in a weird way, like January 6th and, and, and vaccines are kind of like their 9-11, you know, it's, 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 it's weird. And it, 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 like I had friends who were aggressively, we were like 16 years old, 15 years old when nine 11 happened. Like I had friends in the early two thousands that were so pro war, right? They got caught up in this machine and got, and got caught up in the propaganda machine brought to you by Lockheed Martin and Pfizer, right? The propaganda, uh, industrial complex. Right. And, and we're just aggressively pro war. Right. And it's the same way, like these more conservative leaning got young men, mostly, um, we're just aggressively pro-war, right? Like this is what we need to do. We have to do this. Uh, and didn't really like critically think about it. And I think the same thing is happening in the other direction with these younger people and COVID, right? They're being sold something. It's really hard. And, and the, the, the cartel that decides what information is, is legal. Um, and what is a thought crime? Like they, they do a great job of filtering in the information that gets to certain places. And, you have people that have an erroneous belief, in my opinion, um, at a large scale. But if this is not unique in any, in any way, shape, or form. And it's it's really interesting to see, you know. But then we have, we had this Biden presser, which we'll play a few clips of. It was an almost two hours long, so he went for a long time, which that's I think I don't think any president in the last, in the modern era has gone <laughs> that long in a press conference. I mean, an hour and 50 minutes. And for somebody who is... Uh, basically a corpse. That's pretty impressive. But you had, I think it was a Fox News reporter asked Biden why he's gone so far left. And to me, I, I think that's just silly. I think it's retarded, to be honest with you. They think that Biden is like a, a, a tool of the left. And it honestly, it upsets me. So, And I may lose some listeners here, but it upsets me to no end to hear people say that that Biden is Bernie Sanders. Right, because I watched that presser and I was sitting there thinking about it, and I spent that kind of the rest of the day thinking about what today would be like if if Bernie Sanders was the president. Right, I mean, I think Bernie Sanders had a, a real chance to win in twenty sixteen of uh, would have won in twenty twenty if he was the nominee and got fucked over by the DNC, which that whole process over that you know um, five year period pretty much pushed me into what is now politically homeless. So I should be kind of grateful. Uh, because I get to do what I do now because of the way that he got fucked, but I'm not, <laughs> right? I'm not at all. And I think about how he would have handled things differently, you know, like what would be different. And I think right now, because the, right now the, the mainstream liberal media, right? The neoliberal media can say unified January 6th, Trump, 
blah, 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 whatever, right? And they just get to keep blowing that horn to the point where it's, it's, it's become exhausting. But you have to also imagine that those people were very anti-Bernie Sanders. So if Bernie Sanders would have gotten the nomination and would have beaten Trump, right? I don't know if Trump would have had the same juice to be able to say, hey, this was election fraud. Because what do you think the DNC is going to conspire to make Bernie Sanders president? Like the Democratic establishment was better off with Trump president than Bernie Sanders, right? But I also think you have Bernie Sanders up there saying, COVID is a real threat, get vaccinated. Oh, that's, that's actually my Trump. I can't do Bernie Sanders very well. Um, <laughs> shit. <laughs> I just turned Bernie Sanders into Trump. But he's saying, you know, think about what Bernie says. You know, COVID is a real threat, get vaccinated, but we have to get the, the, the working class back to work. We need to increase minimum wage. We've got we've to, you know, like, he would be talking about health care. He'd be talking about the need for Medicare for all or a public option. Like, there would be this, that would be the conversation, which I think, you know, what, wherever you sit on the political spectrum, and I know there's a lot of conservatives out there, wouldn't you rather that be the discussion right now, right? Not build back better, none of that shit. Us talking about workers' rights, getting people back to work, unions, <laughs> right? healthcare, which, yes, would make conservatives' heads explode, but at least it would drive a conversation in some kind of productive way. You know what I mean? And maybe the divisiveness could be used to kind of like expose things left or right, right? So we could have, uh, we, could, we could understand how comical it is for Fox News to say that school lunches are socialism, right? Which is a thing that actually really happened in the world that we live in. And the simulation that we're being told is the world that we're living in anyways. So I just think about that and it just, it, it, it kills me when they're like, he's just, he's a Bernie Sanders in, in a, in a Biden cloak. And I'm like, what? and billionaires say that because to them, you know, threatening their, their stance in the, in the country is, is akin to blasphemy. But, you know, I think we'd have a, I think we'd have a more productive conversation. I think we would have a more productive country at that point. And I think it would be less divisive. Because essentially, you will have somebody who would position themselves as a pro-working class president. So then it would make the divide real. It would expose the real divide that exists in this country, which is not MAGA and libs or uh, black and white. It's the working class and the ruling elite. It is a class issue. Now, are there some racist sprinkles on top of it? Yeah. You know, the way I like to explain it's like it's a class issue is the cake and the systemic racism and the injustice and these other things. And I like to say systemic injustice because it's usually the poor people that are getting fucked, right? The middle and working class that are getting fucked the most, right? That's the cake. The icing is the remnants of Jim Crow laws and redlining and these different things that still exist today and how black communities and poor communities are over-policed and how cocaine is basically legal if you can afford bottle service, but if you have a trace amount of crack on, you're going to jail for seven years, right? Or mandatory minimums for psychedelics of seven years like LSD because Nixon thought it was the worst thing that ever existed. Like that fucking makes any goddamn sense. But conservatives won't do a goddamn thing to reform any of this. And I actually had one of my libertarian friends be like, no liberals have... Have, uh, have, have drafted legislation to legalize marijuana. And then I sent him a video of Bernie Sanders talking about his uh, legislation that he drafted with Cori Bush, right? A bipartisan issue. We're going to talk about that a little bit today because Texas is rethinking their weed situation. But since I've been cooped up all week, spinning around and around, um, <laughs> I'm a little bit heated and just been thinking a lot. A lot. And today I was, right before we get into the state of things here, 
We're uh, putting a new intro on the show. I'm trying to, trying to, decide, to design a new intro um, with our video editor, Josh. And I wanted some kind of iconic quotes uh, from presidents. We've got FDR, Nixon. I uh, couldn't really find anything. I'm looking for something for Reagan. Uh, JFK, of course. Um, MLK, some of his stuff. And, and more things that aren't like I have a dream, but like things that uh, resonated. And, and I was going through and kind of re-watching these speeches. And I just look at some of these people and how incredible orders like Obama, for example. Right. And I don't think Obama's presidency was a success. I think it was great to have a black president. I think representation is important, but generally speaking, um, between the war and the financial crisis, like those two things put him in the category of a failure in my opinion. Sorry, but I saw him speak live still voted for McCain because I was a, you know, 20 year old Texas kid, but I saw him speak at Texas state and it was one of the most impassioned speeches I've ever seen. And then watching him speak again and go, damn, that was like the last president we had that could actually like deliver a speech and like move people. Now Trump could move people, but he wasn't moving large swaths, right? He was like a lot of my, my whole family's Trump voters and like would openly say that Trump is an idiot. You know what I mean? Like you didn't have a whole lot of, of, of Obama supporters saying that, but then even going back and listening to JFK, and Martin Luther King, and you're like, damn, these were, these speeches, like, held the test of time. Like, the one, the quote we're going to use from Martin Luther King is talking about, um, uh, we will make it to the promised land, you know? And that was the day before he was assassinated. The fuck, within 24 hours later, he was dead. He was dead. But he was, he was changing the fucking world. And yeah, you'll have these, like, especially conservatives. And this just fucking pisses me off. Like, Oh, he had a side chick and so did JFK. And he was a philander. It's like, who fucking cares, man? Like Trump used to fuck hookers that were also uh, uh, porn stars. Like who cares? Morality is not the baseline for me. Effectiveness is. And I do think that JFK was our last great president. I really do. And if I could go back in time, I would go back. And I think I could find a way to murder Alan Dulles and John Foster Dulles for that reason, for that matter. And it's funny thing is like after learning so much about that circumstance and what the, the, the evil that those two men and their, and their, their little cohort, the evil they were able to perpetuate, I think I could end their lives and feel nothing. And that's a weird feeling. That's a weird feeling. But to see down the road, you know, 60, 70 years later, like what, they created and how it's impacted the world. I mean, think about the last presidents to talk about peace, not less war, but peace. It's crazy, crazy times, but the new intro is going to be great. I'm excited about it, but it was, I recommend doing that. I might drop that in the Patreon. Just the the video that I was watching. It's just, it, it was a great little montage of some of the greatest speeches in, in, in American history. And, I mean, it's, it's weird. It's weird to think about how much different life was and reality was at that time. Also listen to this long podcast, like two hour long podcast about Nixon. And that dude was a resilient motherfucker. Say what you will. I don't like Nixon, but the dude was a hard worker and he like persevered through a lot of shit. I mean, lost the JFK, lost the, the governorship after being vice president, could not win the governorship in California, then comes back because of the cultural shift and was able to become the president. That is intense. And honestly, 
I don't think um, Watergate was that big of a deal compared to what other presidents have done since then. So in a way, one of the presidents that I dislike a ton kind of got hosed. <laughs> kind of got hosed. The, the, the bullshit that we've gotten into since then makes Watergate look like like barely a blip on the radar. But with all that being said, make sure to leave a review on the podcast and join the Patreon if you want ad-free episodes of this show, Thought Criminals, which we're scheduling right now and I'm super excited about. And bonus episodes every week. Patreon.com slash politically homeless. Let's get into the state of things right now. God damn it, I hit the wrong music. We're fixing this up. Let's go. I hate when I hit the wrong button, guys. I'm a little rusty today. <laughs> At least I got the Patreon pitch in there. State of things coming up right now. Let's do it. We've talked about a bunch of times this on this show, the red wave that is coming in 2022. And, you know, a lot of times to criticize the conservatives and the Republicans for stealing failure from the jaws of success, which happens a lot. You know, it does happen a ton. Um, but now we see that from the Democrats, which, you know, we've talked about me voting for Joe Biden and, and what that meant to me and why I, you know, I thought about maybe a public option, maybe legalized marijuana at the federal level, like things they talked about, some student loan forgiveness, I think is actually a really good idea, um, but delivered on none of that. Right, all we get to talk about is January sixth. Nothing on healthcare. Nothing on student loans. No reason to support what these people have done. Right? They and, they, and for some reason they keep thinking that they did something because of some economic recovery. But when your economy is a complete dumpster fire, when you start like marginal improvements aren't really adequate. So we're seeing this right now. This is a new Gallup poll: U.S. party preferences shifted greatly during 2021. So let's kind of break down this chart here, and I'll explain it for those of you that are just listening. So, um, first quarter of 2021, we had a 49% uh, lean Democrat, right? 49% and then 40 lean Republican. And as we progress on, so there's a nine-point advantage from party affiliation for Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents. And I think that's important because the way independents lean say a lot about how the country is going and where things are going to shift, right? Like, I've talked about it as an aggressive independent, and many people who listen to this podcast are not politically affiliated, fucking politically homeless. We know what we're doing here, right? But we do know that with that freedom of, of no party affiliation, we can vote for whichever way we want. We can vote in either primary in many states, lots of things like that. So we actually, I feel like, have more of a voice being unaffiliated. So, and I can say up until, you know, 2020, beginning of 2020, very left-leaning. I still consider myself on the left side of the political spectrum, but I vote for what I think is best for the country, not what I think is best in my personal interest. So, looking at this, um, a nine-point advantage. And as we go into the end of at the quarter Q4 of 2021, we have a five-point advantage of party affiliation for the Republicans. So it's at 47, 42. So we moved from 49 blue, 40 red to 47 red, 42 blue. And that says a lot about where we are as a nation and where things are going. Now, I was having some conversations yesterday about some of this stuff. I think that Republicans are going to take a lot of things for granted. And I think they may get drunk, drunk on power. I think it may be a, 
you know, four year path back to like Bush era politics, which I'm not looking forward to at all. But you are seeing some leaders in the Republican Party coming out with some pragmatic things, right? Their kind of addiction to abortion is is to me quite ridiculous and, and it's it is virtue signaling and it's it's kind of toxic for their brand. And let's be real. When I talk about political parties as a brand, that is exactly what they are, right? They have PR teams like a brand. They orchestrate themselves like a brand. They are a brand. Okay. Just like if you're uh, like, I really like Toyotas. I like forerunners. I am a kind of a brand whore, whore for forerunners, right? I love them. I think they're great. They're great cars. They drive forever. They do what you need them to do. Um, I enjoy the brand. They're also branded very well. Same thing for people who are like Chevy people, right? It's like you're affiliated with a brand and like it doesn't really matter. They make some bad decisions just to kind of like be loyal to that brand. That's kind of what happens in politics as well. It is very much a brand and you'll see that because the overlap within the mainstream Democrats and mainstream Republicans, the Venn diagram is basically a fucking circle with a few things on the periphery, right? You have like gun control on the periphery and like pro second amendment on the periphery and like pro choice and pro life and blah, blah, blah. And trans flags versus like come and take it flags. It's like that's that, but that's like the little shimmers on the outside of the Venn diagram of mainstream politics. But we're seeing this. And the funny thing is, as we go into this, you're seeing it almost be, you're seeing a diluted white house when it comes to this or a diluted administration. So let's just go into what a few things that Biden had during the presser here and just check this out and see how he responds to things that are kind of alluding to what we're talking about right now. Is up. Uh, your signature domestic legislation is stalled in Congress. In a few hours from now, the Senate, uh, an effort in the Senate to deal with voting rights and voting, uh, voting reform legislation is going to fail. COVID-19 is still taking the lives of 1,500 Americans every day. And the nation's divisions are just as raw as they were a year ago. Did you overpromise to the American public what you could achieve in your first year in office? And how do you plan to course correct going forward? Why are you such an optimist? Look, I didn't overpromise. And what I have probably uh, outperformed what anybody thought would happen. That's a delusional, a delusional statement. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. The fact of the matter is that... Uh, we're in a situation where uh, we have made enormous progress. You mentioned the number of deaths from COVID. Well, it was uh, three times that not long ago. It's coming down. Everything's changing. That was going to happen regardless of what you or anybody else did. It's getting better. Look, um, I didn't overpromise, but I think if you take a look at what we've been able to do, uh, you'd have to acknowledge we made enormous progress. But one of the things that I think... No one has to acknowledge that because that's not true. ...is something that... Uh, one thing I haven't been able to do so far is get my Republican friends to get in the game of making things better in this country. For example, I was reading the other day, and I, ha I wrote the quote down so I don't misquote him. A quote from Senator Sununu when he decided that he wasn't going... Excuse me. Governor Sununu, when he decided he wasn't going to run for the Senate in New Hampshire. Here's what he said. They were all, for the most quote, they were all, for the most part, content with the speed at which they weren't doing anything. It was very clear that we just had to hold the line for two years. Okay, so I'm just going to be a roadblock for the next two years? That's not what I do, Sununu said. He went on to say it bothered me 
that they were okay with that. Then he goes on to say, I said, okay, so we're not going to get stuff done. Okay, that just now becomes an incoherent rambling, so let's move on. <laughs> and this next piece here, I wanted to, it really stood out to me. And I watched this thing on two times speed. If you listen to Biden on two times speed, he actually sounds somewhat coherent, which is kind of interesting. You're, you put Vice President Harris in charge of voting rights. Are you satisfied with her work on this issue? And can you guarantee, do you commit that she will be your running mate in 2024, provided that you run again? Yes and yes. Expand. Pardon me. Do you care to expand? On no, there's no need to. I mean, you know, I asked okay. the question. He, she's going to be my running mate, number one, and number two, I did put her in charge. I think she's doing a good job. Is the country more unified than when you first took office? Uh, the answer is, based on some of the stuff we've got done, I'd say yes, but it's not nearly unified as it should be. Look, I still contend, and I know you'll have a right to judge me by this. I still contend that unless you can reach consensus in a democracy, you cannot sustain the democracy. And so this is a real test, whether or not my, uh, my, my, uh, my counterpart in China is right or not when he says autocracies are the only thing that are going to prevail because democracies take too, too long to make decisions. And Countries are too divided. I believe we're going through one of those inflection points in history. So we look at this and the idea that the country is more unified than it was during the Trump presidency is delusional, right? I think it's equally as divided and equally as there's equally as much vitriol as there was beforehand, you know, but I think we need to have that conversation. That's an important conversation. Why? How are we being manipulated? I try and have that conversation on the show all the time. And we're being manipulated. We're being gaslighted. This is insane. You're being told to hate people, that people are idiots that disagree with you on basic fundamental things that are mostly subjective anyways. And so there's not really like a, a, a rooted reason to be, to be, to dislike someone for who they think, what they think or who they, how they vote or who they want to sleep with or like whether they want to have guns or not. Like this is a whole thing where this is, this is not a Biden thing. This is not a Trump thing. This has been building for decades and it's been slow, like death by a thousand cuts. Let's divide them a little bit here for attention. Let's divide them a little bit here for attention. Go, go, go. We need ratings. Did this, this hatred, 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 vitriol, vitriol, vitriol. And it's exposing itself. Now it's coming to a breaking point now. And we're seeing that happen. You can blame it on Biden. You can blame it on Trump, but it's way bigger than those two dipshits. Okay. And you need to recognize that and see that. And we need to take ownership. Biden should say, no, the country is not more unified than it was when I took office. If anything, it's worse. Now, Trump's not on Twitter, which doesn't seem to have, have had any effect at all, really, besides just like Twitter being less obnoxious. But at the end of the day, the former president of the United States has a right to be obnoxious on Twitter, in my opinion. But we go into this thing, and it's, it's, it's really interesting to see where things are going. Is there going to be a wake-up call? Is there going to be – I mean, there is. there are wake-up calls happening behind the scenes. No one thinks Biden is actually running in 2024. No one thinks Kamala Harris is going to be, like, the candidate. If she is, it'll be a clown show. It'll be her and Buttigieg, and they'll get completely wiped out by literally anybody who runs against them. I could run against them and win. It makes no sense that they're even like going that route. But we're in the same thing. It's the same cycle of bullshit that we're seeing over and over again, and it's so frustrating and depressing to see. We've got to snap the fuck out of it. But just like the uh, 
the great Tupac said, I see no changes. My home state of Texas is evolving on marijuana. What would it take to change the laws? Now, we're going to read a little bit of this here from KXAN Austin. During his re-election campaign, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has struck a moderate tone when it comes to marijuana. When asked about cannabis uh, reform during a campaign event last week, Abbott once again laid out the argument that prisons and jails are places for dangerous criminals who may harm others. Quote, small possessions of marijuana are not the type of violation we want to stockpile jails with, unquote, the governor said. His remarks come as opinions on the matter begin to change across the state. A University of Texas Austin and Texas Tribune poll showed 60% of Texas voters say they support the recreational use of marijuana. You can include my mother, who is a Christian, my granddad, who is a boomer, and anyone else in my family is like, yeah, because they used to not feel that way. But now me and my brothers smoke a joint on the back porch at Christmas and we come back inside and open presents and have a good time with everybody. And they're like, hey, maybe this isn't as big a deal as we thought it was. So we're in this situation here where the governor, now the lieutenant governor is hardline against this, but you're seeing the attitude start to change. Now when 60% of the population of Texas is pro-recreational marijuana, and if you change that to medical marijuana, that would even move it further, right? I'm sure that'd probably be like a 70, 80% issue. At what point can we say that the leadership of that state is not acting out the will of the state's people, right? That's part of a republic. Isn't that how it's supposed to work? The Republic of Texas, right? Don't Texans believe that their population, their citizens know best for themselves when it comes to vaccines and different things like that. Why not weed? Why not weed? Isn't it a state that really cherishes small business and the ability for people to have upper mobility and, um, and for personal freedom, right? Until Texas legalizes marijuana, it is not a personal freedom state. I'm sorry to break that to you guys who live there. I love Texas. I grew up in Texas. Texas meant a lot to me, means a lot to me. But it's not a personal freedom state. I'm sorry. Until they legalize marijuana, then they can say that then they can say they're a state that cherishes personal freedom. You know, we could go a little further, but I think that's enough. For right now, for the moment in history that we're in, we can see that. Now, meanwhile, in Louisiana, we've got Gary Chambers Jr. running for Senate. Let's check out this, this ad just to see the difference. And this, remember, Texas and Louisiana share a border, right? So let's check this out. Every 37 seconds, someone is arrested for possession of marijuana. Since 2010, state and local police have arrested an estimated 7.3 million Americans for violating marijuana laws, over half of all drug arrests. Black people are four times more likely to be arrested for marijuana laws than white people. States waste $3.7 billion enforcing marijuana laws every year. Most of the people police are arresting aren't dealers, but rather people with small amounts of pot, just like me. I'm Gary Chambers, and I'm running for the U.S. Senate. And I approve this message. So we've got Gary Chambers here smoking a fat blunt in his campaign ad. That's 37 seconds long. A beautiful articulation of the nonsense that we deal with here. And this self-righteous, grandstanding bullshit that is the war on drugs has got to end. And it takes people like Gary Chambers to put their money where their mouth is. And do something about it. That is a state that shares a border. So right now you're saying there is a Senate candidate, right? A candidate for the United States Senate in Louisiana. You can throw a rock from Houston and hit Louisiana. <laughs> okay? Right there. 
smoking a blunt in his campaign ad. Meanwhile, you can get arrested right next door for possession of marijuana. That makes no sense whatsoever. So if I was Greg Abbott, I would tell the lieutenant governor to fuck right off because things have got to change. Things have got to, things are changing. You want to get with it or not? Do you want, do you want more Republican popularity? Do you want to own the policy of this country for the next 15 or 16 or 20 years? Then get with the fucking program. Cause there's a few things that you guys are acting like it's the goddamn Reagan era still. And it absolutely is not. Okay. Reagan's drug war failure. Reagan economics failure. Grow the fuck up, move the fuck on, let people make their own goddamn decisions about what they do with their body. Now that's interesting because you're very selective with where you apply that standard conservatives. I'm talking to all of you. Very selective. How about across the board? How about rational rational pro-choice legislation? Rational drug laws and rational vaccine regulations, I guess you could say, because they're not really laws, these mandates, right? It's like you get to choose between one kind of pro-choice or another kind of pro-choice depending on which state you live in. That's moronic. We got to get on the same page here. So shouts to Gary Chambers for speaking up and speaking loudly. Love to see it. Matt Taibbi wrote a great piece called The Vaccine Aristocrats Strike Again. Listen to his subheader here. As Yokel bashing reaches impressive new heights, reports of yet another year of record-breaking profits and a widening wealth cap go unnoticed. And he has a little uh, political cartoon here of one lady yelling at this guy, calling him an idiot, and that he's the problem. And he's saying, no, you're the problem, sheep. And then Wall Street and the 1% are just picking their pockets, which is pretty poignant. But this clip he posted here, Jimmy Kimball tonight, fast becoming the Leonid Brezhnev's never realized dream of a Soviet tonight show, just put out a high effort gag called anti-vax Barbie. It's impressively on message. Now you may have seen this and may have not, but let's get this playing real quick. <laughs> There's a new doll in town and the fun is contagious. It's anti-vax Barbie. She's strong. She's independent. She doesn't trust science. Bill Gates is the antichrist. Vaccines have Satan's blood. <laughs> Barbie comes with a computer so she can do her own research. Says here Moderna turns your teeth Jewish. Take your Barbies everywhere. Shopping. I'm sorry, you can't come in here without a mask. I have a medical condition. <gasps> oh, 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 I'm recording this bitch and you're going to jail. To the stables. Thank you for sharing your medicine, dancer. And on the plane. <laughs> and the only mandate this Barbie cares about is with her proud boyfriend, Ken. Hi, Ken. Wanna go throw eggs at nurses? Sorry, babe, can't hear you. Alex Jones is talking about monoglobal antibodies. Anti-vax Barbie. Exclusively available in Florida and Kentucky. Barbie Dream Ventilator sold separately. Available at Walgreens. Wow. That changed no one's mind. That did nothing positive. And you just made um, <laughs> the people that already hate you hate you more, Jimmy Kimmel. Also, it's funny that Joe Rogan gets, what, 10 times? 10 times your viewership? It's the fucking Tonight Show, dude. It's what used to be an iconic show. One of the best things on TV. People used to gather around and watch the Tonight Show. Who watches Jimmy Kimmel? 
Who? That's not even real laughter, by the way. It's a laugh track. That's fake laughter. Engineered. The whole thing. And this idea, it's like, and I, the new, the new the line, and we've seen this, we'll see this from Don Lemon later on in the show. The new line is, doing your own research is the problem, right? You can't do your own research. Doing your own research is a, is a thought crime. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck are we talking about here? Like, it's numbers, it's data, it's information, right? I can look at my age cohort and see how many people have died of COVID or been hospitalized of COVID relative to the population that is in my age range and be like, huh, doesn't really seem that big of a threat to me. I'll just be careful, right? That's not like, it's not, that's not a problem. Like I'll probably be fine. Maybe I won't. And maybe I'll get hit by a truck next time I cross the road. Things happen. It's like, well, but it's about keeping other people safe. That, that, that made sense until 75% of the spread was from vaccinated people, I believe. Fact check me there. I encourage fact checking. I encourage people to push back. So we're looking at this. It's like, well, it, it, the, the, the narrative has changed so many times. It's like, I can't even keep up. It's like, does it keep you from getting COVID? No. Um, does it decrease hospitalizations and death? Maybe, yeah. But that was already a, a minimal factor for me anyways, and definitely a minimal factor for children, which now they're about to authorize a vaccine for under five-year-olds. So that's, that's odd. Um, so it's kind of crumbling here. And it's weird to say that, well, yeah, Pfizer has paid out the most criminal fines of any company in history. Um, so, but this time, right? Like corruption exists and regulatory capture is a problem for when the big oil companies do it and when the military industrial complex does it. But in this one small area of my life, the cognitive dissonance it will, will overcome. Right, like this, this regulatory capture and corruption uh, can't exist in this one small area because I've been told to believe that it is virtuous. It's a very strange situation, a very strange situation. And like I said, I don't want to be attacked. I don't want to be called names. I want to live my life. I don't want to call people names unless they're doing something fucking stupid. And that's generally around things that actually matter, that are consequential. But right now, you never hear about the huge wins. And I've said this from the beginning. For a lot of people. They're probably better off vaccinated. This is the same thing that Joe Rogan says. We've been, a lot of people have been saying this. Like Dr. M um, uh, Malone said this on Rogan's podcast. A lot of people are better off vaccinated. I'm glad my grandma, granddad and my mom, my stepdad, they needed to get vaccinated. They were in their 50s or 70s. It's a thing. And my brother who is 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 overweight, which we've I've tried to work with him on it, and I, and I care about him deeply, and he's I love the shit out of that kid. But he's not that healthy, and he knows that. He got vaccinated. The right move. The right move for him and his wife. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, this is not about, this is not, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. This is so crazy. And you get painted as, as this, this is what they're going to do. You know, what if we, why would we do this? Why would you want to do this to people? I just don't, I don't get it. I don't understand, right? It's hard. It's hard to see. And, and I actually had a friend. I had a friend, that had, they had the audacity. <laughs> the audacity to reach out to me and be like, hey, one of our other mutual friends, um, and this is the person that was reaching out to me, is a very pro-vax person. Lots of family, lots of family members that are doctors. It's a whole thing, right? It's, it's been this ongoing thing since the beginning. And uh, she was upset that uh, one of our friends doesn't really want to be friends with her because of her opinion on the vaccine. And my response was, "How does it feel? How does it feel?" Because I would like to go to concerts. I love live music. But if I want to do that, I've got to fake a vaccine card. So I'm being ostracized and villainized. And she's like, well, you should have to wear a mask if you're not vac if you're not vaccinated. Why? Trust the science. Show me. Where does it say that even makes any fucking sense at all? It's so you can, I'm, I'm being punished for making a health decision 
that's different than what somebody wants me to make. That makes no sense. I have a right to go to a concert. It's like, well, it's private businesses and they can do whatever they want. I haven't been, I've never said that. (laughs) I'm not a libertarian. I don't say that kind of shit. That's dumb. It's not the way it works when it comes to punishing people who didn't do a fucking thing to you. You know, I, I say the same thing about DuPont poisoning people's water. Private companies just can't do whatever the fuck they want, not even to their own employees. It's a weird deal. And this is so hard to see and so frustrating. And then I was like, well, I remember a Barbie that I really appreciated. And this is the Barbie that's on my team. Let's check this out. That truck, why don't you come on back? Join our family again. This isn't a family, it's a prison. You're a liar and a bully. And I'd rather rot in this dumpster than join any family of yours. Jesse's right. Authority should derive from the consent of the governed, not from the threat of force. Authority should arise from the consent of the governed, not by the threat of force. And uh, Mr. Potato Head seems to agree. He's like, damn, Barbie, get him. And that's how exactly how I feel. Me and Mr. Potato Head are on the same page with this one. Consent. <laughs> Authority should arise from the consent of of the governed, not from the threat of force. Thank you, Barbie. Thank you for speaking up on our behalf. All right, y'all, this is more of a uh, personal issue slash local issue, but something I wanted to bring up because I do think it highlights kind of this um, misunderstanding between like rural folk, outdoorsy people, uh, and like what people in Colorado call front rangers, right? The people who live in Boulder uh, and Denver, that end up making the decisions politically for the rest of the state, even for things that they don't necessarily understand. So we have a bill right now. Colorado legislators in, in, introduced SB 31, a bill to protect mountain lions, bobcats, and Canada lynx from hunting. Now, that's a little bit of a, uh, a weird um, way of looking at it because you can't hunt lynx. Uh, they're, they're an endangered species. They're being... A lot of the conservation money that is raised from hunting goes to reintroducing lynx and getting their populations back healthy again, but they put that in there preemptively in case they were ever delisted. Um, so we want to talk about this, and I posted a while back. We had a mountain lion uh, right up right up next to our house. Uh, I cut him on a game camera, or her. I couldn't tell the gender uh, just because it was the top half of the cat, but I love big cats. I mean, if you look at my arm here, I've got, I've got a, a, a lioness and a jaguar on my like tattooed on my I have a sleeve of big cats. I love big cats. They're my favorite animals, hands down, and orcas. Big cats and orcas are my homies, right? Uh, but I wanted to bring this up as a as kind of an the closest to unbiased as I'm going to get on many issues because I have zero interest in killing big cats. I have zero interest in killing coyotes, uh, wolves, canines, and cats. Don't have any interest in hunting them, right? Not for me. My buddy Clint did shoot a bobcat the other day, uh, big old Tom. I do want to try some of the meat. I've heard it's really good, uh, but me personally, not for me. And I have a lot of friends that are hunters, not for, not for them either. I have zero interest in going and shooting a lion. Like none of that stuff, like none of it gets exciting to me, but I understand the necessity of it and how it fuels conservation and how it's important to manage the population of these animals. It's a very, very complex conservation issue. And so what we have here, and I'm going to read through this this letter. This is actually a pro. This is a, a a letter written that is for this legislation. And I wanted to articulate their arguments. I feel like this does a good job. And then I want to kind of bring up some counter arguments. And I think even if you're not interested in this issue at all, it shows how the divide between different types of people with different types of understandings of things can really become uh, problematic. 
So it says here, Colorado on Thursday, January 13th, Colorado legislators introduced SB 31, a bill that would end the hunting and trapping of mountain lions, bobcats, and Canada lynx in the state of Colorado. Uh, Senator Sonia Lewis, Senator Joanne Ganahl, Representative Monica Duran, and Representative Judy Amable, all white women, by the way, are championing the legislation. White women are the problem. In Colorado, hundreds of mountain lions and thousands of bobcats are killed each year. Hounds are used to chase and corner lions to be shot by a, a hunter, while traps are commonly used to capture bobcats and shoot them at close range. The bill would end this recreational hunting and trapping of the two species while protecting the Canada lynx in case it loses its protection under the Endangered Species Act in the future. Polling data from Colorado shows that more than two-thirds of Coloradans op uh, oppose the hunting of these wildcat species. The public has long viewed the, pursu the pursuit of wildcats as trophy hunting, where the primary motivation is to capture and kill animals for bragging rights or to display the carcass, even if the meat is consumed. In addition to public support, a broad coalition of wildlife conservation organizations are supporting SB 31, including the Mountain Lion Foundation, the Humane Society of the United States, Animal Welfare Institute, the Center for Biological Diversity, Project Coyote, Sierra Club Colorado, Wild Earth Guardians, and Boulder Bear Coalition. Logan Christian, Region 2 Conservation Advocate for Mountain Lion Foundation, says... We are proud to support SB 31 and applaud the legislators who are taking this bold effort to end the hunting and trapping of Colorado's wild cats. Hunting disrupts the social structure of mountain lions and other wild cats, often exacerbating conflicts between the species and humans. That's not true. Uh, Colorado's wildcats also face mounting threats from highways, urban expansion, and climate change. Removing hunting as an additional re uh, source of mortality will help protect the long-term persistence of these species. Senator Sonia Lewis from Boulder County, one of the legislators who introduced the bill, said, We know that 72% of Colorado residents believe that our state's mountain, uh, beautiful mountain lions and bobcats should not be hunted as trophies, yet hunters kill hundreds each year. Mountain lions self-regulate their population sizes, and very few livestock are killed by them in Colorado. We do not need to be hunting these gorgeous animals for sport in our state. This bill excludes exemptions for killing wild cats when necessary to protect livestock, public safety, or euthanize an injured animal. Okay, so let's just break down this little by little. This is a lot. The idea that this trophy hunting argument, right? And you guys see I have like a, a, a white-tailed deer skull displayed behind me. That meat is in our freezer, Yes, that is, I guess, what you consider a trophy, um, but that's not the purpose. <laughs> that's not the purpose of doing it, is not to put the skull on the wall. The skull exists, it's there, the meat's there, you take the meat, you, you boil the skull, you put it on the wall, it is what it is, it's a thing, right? The trophy hunting argument is very odd to me. We have to keep in mind that nothing that we do right now, Denver, Boulder, Chicago, New York, those are not natural things. Okay. Suburbs are not natural. Highways are not natural. Cars, agriculture, those are not natural things. Okay. But they exist for our survival and they are at odds with nature. All of it. Okay. The way that hunting tags are doled out is based on a uh, a conservation basis, right? For example, and we can think about animals in general, right? We have mountain lions, we have wolves now, we have bears. Okay, as of right now, the largest killer of elk in this state is not hunters. It's black bears. Black bears kill elk. And I have somebody say the other day, they only kill the old, weak ones. No, they kill the slow ones. And the slow ones are the babies. Okay, if you want to reintroduce wolves, I think before you decided you wanted to reintroduce wolves into Colorado, 
You should have been able to watch wolves pull a calf out of a cow while it was giving birth and eat it right there. That's what they do. Wolves will decimate. There's about a 25 uh, head herd of, of elk that live near our house in the wintertime. They come out of the mountains and they get to the low country. Wolves could knock out that entire herd in one night. Is that good? I don't know. You tell me, right? You tell me because a ton of our economy in this, in this state has to do with hunting. Okay. So that's a big part of it as well. We have a large number of unnatural predators. We also have a lot of animal car incidents with deer and elk. These are all things that are considered in the management of an animal. People, these people make it sound like anybody can go out and just shoot a mountain lion at any point or any time. That is not the case. In Texas, that's the case. I think that that's a little bit fucked, right? I agree. I'm with you there. But the tags are distributed to manage the population for lots of things because mountain lions kill tons of deer and tons of elk every year. Wolves will kill tons of deer and tons of elk every year. Bear kill tons of elk and tons of deer every single year. So since we live in an unnatural world, where animals have to be managed. They don't manage themselves well. Okay. That leads to diseases, overpopulation, car accidents, all kinds of crazy shit. We have to now have conservation agencies decide based on many factors, how many mountain lions need to be in an area and how many mountain lions need to be taken out of an area. For example, I talked to a hunter down uh, in the Vale area last elk season. I was about to hike into some really nasty country. And I was like, hey, man, they were coming out. They had been on a sheep hunt for two weeks, and he knew his shit. So I was like, have you seen any elk out there? He goes, I didn't see or hear a single elk. I've guided out here for 15 years. When I started, we had an 80 to 90% uh, opportunity rate, which means that somebody got a shot on a guided hunt 80 to 90% of the time on a bull elk. He goes, now because they don't manage the cats and the bears out here, because people from Denver and Boulder think they know what the fuck they're talking about when they decide to vote against things, the, the opportunity rate is 20%. That decimates outfitters and people that rely on healthy elk populations to make a living. Those people matter. All right? Now, if you want to look and go up to Estes Park, maybe they should reintroduce some wolves into Estes Park where the elk live in town, right? That's not a natural situation either. I think that's ridiculous. It shouldn't be that way. You've got elk fighting elk statues during the rut and poking holes in car tires. Like, it's crazy. It's madness up there. You know, you want to go put some mountain lions in the Rocky Mountain National Park? Great, but that is, then you're going to lose all that money for people who want to go drive by an elk and hear it bugle in the September. It's a really complex issue. And like I said, I have zero interest in tracking, trapping or shooting big cats. I've shot one bobcat in my life with a bow. I'll probably never do it again. That said, if there's a mountain lion that even puts an eyeball on my dogs, I will kill it right there where it stands. I have zero qualms about that because I will protect my dogs and my kids, my family, because those things are fucking, they're aggressive sometimes. I've had mountain lions 20 feet away from where my studio is right now, stalking people walking their dogs. Okay, so if you want to sit here and talk about how there's a, there's a, these aren't endangered species, they are managed species. But since there's so much voting power in places like Denver and Boulder, people that don't understand and don't have to deal with the consequences 
don't have to deal with the consequences of their vote. You can vote to, how many, 72%, right? 72%. Those people want to go up to Rocky Mountain National Park once a year and maybe see a wolf or maybe see a mountain lion and deal with zero of the consequences because they don't raise cattle. They don't hunt. They're not spending weeks in the backcountry. They don't invest a lot of their time, money, effort, and energy into hunting and providing for their family in that way because it's much more convenient to go to King Supers and buy a steak off the shelf because you don't get to think about the fact that that animal was lined up with hundreds of other animals, shot in the face with a bolt gun, and then hung up by hooks and had its throat cut. You don't have to see that because you're disconnected from where your food comes from. But for those of us that care to be connected to where their food comes from and do get sad when an animal dies and do struggle with ending a life sometimes, but know that it's necessary and it's a part of living connected to the earth in some small way, which we've lost so much in our history. Don't want to understand that. Don't want to grapple with those difficult things. Right? And let's spin this around and put it a different, a different point in a different direction here. Yeah, is killing mountain lions uncomfortable? It makes me uncomfortable when I see it done. Because I, I have a, a, a weird connection to those animals for some reason. It makes me uncomfortable when I know it's necessary. Just like abortion makes me uncomfortable. But I know that it's necessary. But you could see that 72% probably flips the other way, right? It's a disconnect. It's a disconnect from empathy for people that you don't understand. And it's self-righteousness. We have advanced conservation agencies that make these decisions, that know more about it than you do or I do. That, that have dedicated, the people that dedicate their life to conservation and understanding the ideal populations of these different animals and what needs to be done and how they can be managed. Mountain lions don't self-regulate. I don't know where the fuck that idea came from. That's not how it works. That's not how they work. They are geared to kill and eat and survive and reproduce. It's basic animal nature. In the same way that we are, even though we pretend that that's not how we operate, that's how we operate. That's what drives our human operating system. Just like prey animals like elk and deer are geared to find food, find shelter, stay alive, reproduce. It's the driving force of life, okay? And to do that, depending on what type of animal you are, that involves the ending of other life. So there are many things to be considered. And four women from Boulder and Denver don't have the right to make that decision for the rest of us. And people that don't deal with the fucking consequences also shouldn't have the right to make that decision for the rest of us. And again, this is coming from someone who has zero interest in killing a big cat for my entire life. I've killed one bobcat, like I've said, and I never want to kill another one. I think about it all the time. It's crazy. It's crazy, and people are not considerate. We do the same thing with the wolves. And then you see a cow who's been ripped to pieces and is barely standing up and is bleeding everywhere, and you're like, oh, well, that the wolf's life matters more than that cow's life. It's like, what is it? what are we doing here? It's a disconnect from fucking reality. And I had to bring this up and I had to share this because it's a big deal. And we saw this last, last year with the wolf reintroduction. Wolves are already here. They're already doing their thing. 
And if you want to reintroduce wolves, well, then you better get very fucking comfortable with people hunting wolves, just like they have to in Idaho and just like they have to in Wyoming. And it's like, well, the, 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 the hunting of them actually increases the, the risk of, of, of human interactions with them. That is the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard. That makes no sense at all. Let's talk about this. Let's use it. Uh, grizzly bears, same deal. Grizzly bears learn to fear humans as cubs. If their mama knows that humans are dangerous, it will teach the cubs to get the fuck away from humans. If they don't learn that as cubs, they will never learn it. That's why mountain lion, or uh, excuse me, grizzly bear attacks in Montana are at an all-time high. That's why a grizzly bear will knock down the wall of your tent and grab you by the face. It's not Winnie the Pooh, guys. That's not the way the fucking world works. So we got to keep this in mind. I think this is a great example of the disconnect between rural and urban society. It's so odd. And yeah, in a perfect world, we wouldn't have to do it. It wouldn't be necessary. But in our world right now, it is necessary because these animals are decimating these elk and deer populations. And yeah, they are. we are having encounters with them in areas in, around our houses. We see mountain lions up in our area all the time. It's a normal thing. Every 60 days, they have a 60, mile, I think it's a 60 square mile radius. They just cruise around in circles. And it's really easy to kill deer in here. Right? For example... Let's just use this in an example, real life example. I caught that mountain lion on a game camera about a week after this happened. Our dogs were freaking out one night, didn't know what was going on. I come back behind my office one day and Theo, my bird dog, has something in his mouth. I have him drop it. It's a deer's lung. Okay, so apparently a mountain lion had killed a deer in our backyard and cached it somewhere and the lung had fallen out along the way. Because what will happen is they'll kill it, eat part of it, and then go take the rest of it, carry it up the hill, and put it underneath a rock or a log and hide it and piss on it and stash it away somewhere. And they'll come back and get it later. That's in my yard, guys. And these people who live in apartment complexes in Boulder and Denver <laughs> or in gated communities in town, they don't get to see that. They don't realize that. They don't have to be concerned when they let their dogs out to take a piss at night. But I do. I've got a gun staged at every door in my house for mountain lions. And I think them being scared of people is an appropriate way to go about it. Being scared of dogs is an appropriate way to go about it. And yeah, hunting them with dogs and running them up a tree and shooting them, I don't love it. But it's effective and it works. And the people that make the decisions on how many tags get given out know better than these people do about what's necessary and appropriate for conservation in this state because they commit their lives to conservation. So why don't these four white women go ahead and focus on the well-being of the people in their districts and quit trying to micromanage things that they don't fucking understand? And that's all I've got to say about that. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs. Guys, these are the, these are the people that created Element. Okay, and Element is... It's one of the things that I put in my body frequently that makes me feel better and hydrated. Um, when I was going through this vertigo bout and everything was going on, people were like, maybe you're dehydrated. And I was like, that's literally impossible because I drink so much water. And I can probably attribute like half of that to Element because it makes water palatable. Like more palatable because if you're thirsty, water tastes good. But if you got to think about the the palatability and reward system that exists within your brain, there's a few things that'll hack that palatability system. Things that are salty, sweet, greasy. That's why if you find like um, 
something that's like salty, sweet, and fatty at the same time is so good, right? That's why salted nuts are much more palatable than raw nuts, right? So we have this palatability system within our brain. And if we can hijack that to drink more water while also creating a better environment with that water with inside of our body to absorb and get the most out of it, well, then you're doing a good job, my friends. And that is exactly what Element does. And the fun fact is, way before Element existed, the palatability and reward system that I just spoke about, I learned about that from Rob Wolf, who just happens to be one of the creators of Element. Funny how that works. It seems like he might just be a smart guy. Now, let me just read off the ingredients. This is a, I have a pack of uh, watermelon, which is one of my favorite ingre- uh, flavors here. Ingredients, salt, malic acid, magnesium malate, potassium chloride, natural watermelon flavor, and stevia leaf extract. You know what's not in that list? Sugar, because there is none, my friends, none. If you were drinking some kind of like bullshit, Gatorade, Powerade, sports drink, whatever, you're doing yourself a disservice. If you like to get out and sweat, hike, Workout, if you're eating keto, paleo, you're in the sauna, you're doing those kind of things, you're out there sweating it out, baby, you got to put this inside of you. All right, pour it right down your mouth hole. It is the best thing you'll do in 2022, guaranteed. Now, what you got to do to get a free, well, not free, you got to pay, pay shipping, okay? But you can get a, you can get a sample pack, eight packets, sample pack for $5. Okay, all you got to do is cover shipping. You don't actually pay for the packets, but you do have to cover the shipping because you have to take some kind of personal responsibility because it is America. So you get a free variety pack. All you gotta do is cover shipping. It's $5. Go to drink element, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash wanders. The link is in my show notes. Boom, sign up, do the thing. Even if you've already got the variety pack and you're one of those people, like there's a bunch of people, you guys have bought the shit out of this, by the way. Like people are loving this stuff. I get messages all the time of people really digging this. Actually, all of our sponsors, people are, you guys have done well. I mean, it's, you know, that supporting these sponsors is supporting this show. So I really appreciate that. And I only take on sponsors that make badass stuff. It's easy to find a CBD sponsor or some kind of crazy supplement sponsors that promise you the world. I don't play that game. All right. I like high return on investment for what I put on my show, what I endorse and what I put in my body. And that's why I like element and cured our other sponsor, but check it out, guys. Stay salty, stay moist on the inside. Go to drinkelement.com, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash wanders. Link is in the show notes. All the links are always in the show notes. Even if you're just buying boxes and you're doing that kind of thing and you're already past the variety pack, still use that link because it makes us look good. This stuff is amazing. Check it out. We are also sponsored by our friends over at Cured Nutrition. And I say our friends because like I've met Rob. We're not friends, but we're like, I met him one time. That was really nice. But the people over at Cured Nutrition actually are our friends. I, uh, I love these guys. And I was actually drinking a a sparkling beverage from them called Euphoria. It's CBD, mushrooms, and vitamin D in a spicy mango flavor. Highly recommended. It actually tastes more like chai than it does mango to me, but that's good because I like chai more than mango. I didn't think I was actually going to like this flavor, but it's fucking good. Anyway, so guys, Pure Nutrition does a lot of things. They've got incredible products, incredible sourcing, and they do a lot of their packaging and compounding here in Colorado, which I love anything that brings business more local. So they're combining cannabinoids with medicinal mushrooms and adaptogens in a variety of different blends that kind of meet you where you are. What do you need? Are you feeling lethargic when you wake up in the morning? Boom, hit that morning blend. You having trouble sleeping and want to get a little bit better rest? Boom. They got that for you. 
if you're feeling a little sore and you want a CBD salve that's really intense um, for when it comes to relaxing muscles, I guess you can intensely relax muscles. They have a salve for that. If you want to get your dog, maybe your dog has anxiety, they've got treats and uh, doggy drops, right? So they've got all kinds of stuff. It's a really great company from really great people that give a fuck. Okay, these people really care. And with, with something like CBD, there's so much hype and so much fuckery and so much bullshit. Like, it's really hard to find a company you can trust. But I can tell you, you can trust Cured. They are doing it the right way. So all you have to do is go to curednutrition.com. Again, that link is in the show notes. Check it out. There's a wide variety of things. I mean, these drinks are really, really good. I definitely recommend picking up a six-pack of Euphoria, either the lemon lime or the spicy mango. They're both delicious like great for like kind of the middle of the day or with a meal if you're drinking sodas or anything like that great way to replace those with something that's going to be better for you and also taste great so crudenutrition.com you're going to use the promo code homeless it'll get you 10 percent off your entire order and free shipping on your whole order hit that link in the show notes and that is promo code homeless at curednutrition.com. Check them out, guys. These are great companies that are supporting independent content creators. They could definitely go buy bigger ad buys on bigger podcasts and do whatever and do that kind of thing, but they choose to support independent creators and they, by doing that, by voting with their dollars, are supporting free speech and it would mean the world to me if you could support them and also you get something out of it because they're great products check it out guys cured and element links are in the show notes make it happen now let's get back to the show i think most of us have heard the term the great resignation in the uh past couple weeks or the past couple months record uh job quitting quitting of jobs leaving of jobs telling the boss to fuck off actually <laughs> actually uh follow this instagram handle uh, fuck you i quit really really funny you should check it out but uh when I saw the Daily Wire posted something about it, I was like, oh, God, i got to see what this has to be. So uh, let's check it out real quick. In America, 2021 has been the year of the Great Resignation, otherwise known as the Big Quit. The Great Resignation, that's what some experts are calling the growing trend of workers quitting or just changing careers. All of a sudden, it seemed like everyone I know was changing jobs or stepping off the career ladder. The number of Americans quitting their job is higher than ever. In the second half of 2021, over 20 million Americans quit their jobs, creating the most significant quit rate since the government started tracking the data over two decades ago. And economists are calling this period the Great Resignation. Here's what you need to know. In a recent episode of 60 Minutes, LinkedIn's chief economist gave some insight into who exactly is exiting the workforce. She says that baby boomers are retiring early, but the majority of people participating in the big quit are Gen Z workers, people in their late teens and early 20s, and most of them are women. We can see what sectors people are quitting, retail sectors and hospitality sectors. It may not just be worth it for some folks. And so in some cases, people are quitting and they're not yet returning, they're taking a break. Americans are burnt out. I like to think of it as it's a take this job and shove it measure. It's just a sign of people saying, you know, I don't need this. Academics and economists are also connecting this phenomenon to COVID-19. The stress and burnout of working through a pandemic and the extreme fear and political polarization caused people to reevaluate their careers and lifestyle. They now want more flexibility, fewer hours and higher wages. But some just don't want to work at all. Oh With God, people quitting left and right, there has been an anti-work movement brewing. And unsurprisingly, Gen Z is leading the charge. 
As evidence, uh... the anti-work subreddit is one of the fastest growing groups on the platform. Last <laughs> fall, it only had 150,000 members. Now, it has over 1.6 million. They have the tagline, unemployment for all, not just the rich. And they call themselves the idlers. These idlers largely believe that people should strive to work as little as possible and preferably for themselves. Many work as few hours as possible in part-time jobs in order to survive. Some dig on roommates or raid dumpsters for food to reduce their cost of living. Seems like they're working awfully hard at not working. One idler was pushed over the edge and finally quit his job after his boss posted a sign telling workers they couldn't use their phones during shifts. And if they were caught with their phones, management could confiscate them. The movement can be- Because they're being treated like children. Do you understand? You can't, you can, you're an adult. You can use your phone when you want to use your fucking phone. And if somebody was telling me you can't use your phone or we're going to take it away from you. Yeah, anywhere outside of a, an elementary school, I think I would tell them to go fuck themselves, personally. And I also just, uh, I wonder what's next, right? I wonder if they might blame this on communism somehow. Traced back to the Marxist idea oh, that is. humanity can and should evolve <laughs> beyond the requirement that we work for a living. And that makes sense, considering that 64% of Gen Z would happily vote for a socialist candidate. Yeah, uh, I'm going to show you some charts too here in just a second, Brett. Just wait. It can also be connected to the laying flat cultural movement that is spreading like wildfire in China among 20 to 30 year olds. A movement that advocates for laying down instead of working hard. Sounds nice, huh? I wake up not worrying about work, she says. Till this fall, Tang worked at a tech firm, part of China's rat race to push the country and herself ahead. But then she decided to what the Chinese call Tangping, or lie flat. Lying flat is about not comparing with others, but to yourself, she says. It's about developing your own path and following your heart. However, the Chinese Communist Party is not thrilled with this new attitude, which they call Tang Ping. And in response, they've scrubbed their internet of all laying flat references and groups, and even deleted the original laying flat manifesto, which went viral last year. So what is causing this great resignation? And why is Gen Z so opposed to work? Well, psychologists have been warning employers about these sensitive and anti-capitalist attitudes for years as the world prepared for Gen Z to enter the workforce. However, COVID-19 and the government's enabling response to the pandemic has accelerated the problem. People got comfortable during the lockdowns, and they learned that in many cases, they could make more money by relying on government-funded initiatives than returning to their jobs. And still today, many continue to collect unemployment benefits rather than returning to work. It's a trend that's become so commonplace that even Elon Musk jumped in with a statement when he appeared on Joe Rogan's podcast. The, the, this notion, though, that uh, you, you know you can just sort of send checks out everybody and, and things will be fine is not true. Musk asserts that many wrongly believe that the economy is a cornucopia where goods and services will simply appear, leading individuals to believe that they don't need to work or contribute to production. This interview was back in 2020. Not only have these attitudes continued, they even seem to be getting worse. FedEx reported that they are having to reroute some 600,000 packages a day due to operating with only 65% of needed staff. Schools are closing and turning back to remote learning due to a lack of teachers and administrators. Restaurants are moving to robot servers due to the shortage of food industry employees. And as of December, the United States had 11 million job openings, which is close to an all-time record. So the problem is not the availability of jobs. It is the dramatically changing cultural attitudes towards work and productivity. And with the baby boomers retiring in throngs, the workforce is being left in the hands of millennials and Gen Z. 
and it is not looking great. To stay informed, go to dailywire.com. I'm Brett Cooper. Thanks for watching. Thanks, Brett. Uh, now let's look at some of the comments here first before we move on. Um, where are the comments at? Number one, my wife quit and went back to being a mother and a housewife. We've never been happier. Sometimes traditional gender roles work for a reason. I'm 28 and quit my corporate job to pursue my first responder firefighter position. I couldn't take the blatant disregard for one's own personal life and time. Believe it or not, I actually have more free time with my wife and my family firefighting than I did working for the corporate idiots. Huh, that's weird. How many people of you out there, and I've heard this a lot, like are more competent at your job than your boss is, but somehow your boss is still your fucking boss and they make twice as much money as you. I know there's a lot of people out there that feel just like that. My wife quit her job to raise our children. I'd rather be poor than shortchange our children. Hey, kudos to you. I had I have to have the freedom to quit your job for a better one is capitalism. We need more of this. I am all for workers getting paid what their time is worth. If people feel taken advantage of and they can afford to stay home and shove it to their bosses, more power to them. Exactly, Christopher. These are conservatives that follow. I mean, 406 likes on that on that comment itself and 55 replies. Uh, I'm 47, and when I think about how much of my life was spent in a cube, it makes me sad. It also happens that the companies I've worked for were bought out and uh, and split up. So the work I did for all these years doesn't matter at all. The grind just wears you down, working Monday through Friday, week after week, year after year. You don't enjoy Sunday evenings because you're thinking about being back at work the next morning. We were never meant to live this way. Yeah, exactly, Sonny. And then 95 likes, 19 comments. Now let's move on to the actual reason why this is happening. And it sure as fuck isn't Marxism, Brett. Give me a fucking break. Anyways, moving on. Wage stagnation in nine charts. So we're going to use some charts. Informative charts. Uh, the U.S. middle class had $17,867,000 less income in 2007 because of the growth of inequality since 1979. Now this, this only goes up to, I believe... Like 2015. So you can imagine it's only got worse since then. So if you had no change in equality of income, right? And I don't mean like, I don't mean like, we're talking about if wages grew at the same pace across the board based on the size of the economy growing and the productivity of work, work, the workforce growing alongside workers' wages. That would make sense, right? So you're looking at uh, $94,000 and when the average income was $76,000. So keep on moving down here. Um, workers produce more, but typical workers pay lagged far behind. You can see the productivity line here moving up to 243.1%, while hourly compensation from 1948 only grew 108.9%. So the, 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 the 1973 productivity became divorced from hourly wages. And these are wage earners, the working class, who tend to get fucked over everything. When it comes to the pace of annual pay increases, the top 1% wage grew 138% since 1979, while wages for the bottom 90% grew only 15%. So I wonder why the working class is getting paid less. If you have any questions about why that is, look at the fucking chart, guys. Look at the chart. We go down here, uh, middle class wages are stagnant. Middle wage workers' hourly wage went up 6% since 1979. Low wage workers' wages went down 5%. <sighs> While those with very high wages saw a 41% increase. Do you think that might drive people to tell someone to fuck off? Do you think that might drive Gen Z to be more keen to socialism? Do you think maybe the cries for socialism are a, are a response to unchecked greed? 
and maybe getting fucked over and while, while BlackRock and all these other equity firms get bailed out when they fuck up and the big banks can get bailed out when they fuck up because they're too big to fail. You know who's not too big to fail, apparently? The majority of American citizens. We can all fail and just have ruthless, ruthless capitalism. But you got to have socialism for the rich, right? Because capitalism? Weird. Oh, let's see. What else? What else? Um, employ- oh, this is a good one. Employees are cutting health care for young workers, but college and high school, uh, both college and high school graduates. So now high school graduates, only 70% are insured their job. And college graduates, only 31%. Beautiful. Got to love that. Got to love capitalism. CEOs now make 296 times what a typical worker earns. <laughs> and that's, that's an average. That is an average. So in 1965, that was 20X, 30X, 59X in the 90s, uh, up to 348 in the 2000s before the dot-com bubble. And then the crash after 2008 dropped things down a little bit. But now, and this is, this is most certainly gone up. But in 2013, it was 296 times. Huh. Interesting. I mean, and I think that's probably appropriately, isn't that like 87 average would be pretty, would be okay. That's like the pre-Clinton era. That's like the Clinton era right there. That's funny. Um, minimum wage would be $18 if it grew productivity. Now, this is a funny one too. I wanted, This is the last chart we're going to show here. Decline in union membership income gains of the top 10%. So it mirrors income gains of the top 10%. So if you, for those of you guys that are just listening, you see a, a chart here. It's fucking hilarious. So share of income for the top 10% moves in exact opposition to the union membership share. Huh? Collective bargaining might actually be a good idea for the working class. Now we move over to some other informative charts here. This is the growing generational wealth gap. Um, <laughs> so if you look here, when baby boomers were under 40, they held 13% of household wealth compared to just 5.9% of millennials under 40 in 2020. So less than half, less than half. That's, that's not, that's not, doesn't say a lot for our society. Now millennials, um, stand to inherit a lot of money from baby boomers because that's their parents. But if you look at this, Gen Z is the most fucked. They are the most fucked with forced into incredibly low wage jobs. Now, of course, you know, you can blame it on everybody getting a trophy, which definitely wasn't a good thing. But to, th- to call it Marxism and to think that there's no rational reason why these people would want a socialist society when they've watched over their lifetime. I mean, just 2008 by itself would drive somebody to want socialism. But no, let's, let's ignore that and use our own confirmation bias, Right. Because wage wage stagnation and and, and the growing wealth gap, the growing wealth gap could not possibly be responsible for the rise in socialist tendencies among young Americans. No, that couldn't be it. it, we, We can't take responsibility. We can't, as a country, take responsibility for the fuckery that exists. No way. No, it's, it's, it's China's fault. And listen, I'm of the mind that if you want to like do the bare minimum, if you want to dumpster dive for your food, by the way, I saw something on TikTok the other day. Somebody sent this to me that this girl was like dumpster diving at Whole Foods and they throw out lots of good food. So if you dumpster dive at Whole Foods, like it's like still good for weeks and it's frozen. So if you get there at the right time, you can, you can do well dumpster diving at Whole Foods. Just a thought. Um, but it was interesting, yeah. Like th- th- this idea. Like I- I'm actually of the mind that if somebody wants to like not really do anything and live in like a studio apartment that's 300 square feet and just like whatever, like okay, 
that's that's fine, I guess. Like I have zero interest in doing that, and most people I know have zero interest in doing that. We like to like work and make something of ourselves and do something. But if you don't really want to, I don't care. Cool. <laughs> like I don't resent you for that. Like it is what it is. Don't harm anybody else. Okay. Whatever. It doesn't matter to me. I don't know. I don't need to get involved in other people's bullshit. But um, and if the government takes care of those people, like so be it. What it doesn't again. There's very little to do with me, but, uh, this is strange, man. It's super strange to see this. And I don't understand why this gets blamed. I I think that if you could just reframe yourself, the conservatives, especially reframe this and not placing blame and not, I swear to God, these fucking conservatives are the most victimy people. They're as victimy as the, as the, like, as the critical race theory people that are like, Oh, everybody's attacking me. Like it's like, Oh my God, we're getting our way of life is being attacked. Shut the fuck up, dude. Like grow up. How about you reflect on why this could be the case? Like why use your intellect? Like I thought, I thought, I thought the boss over here at, at the daily wire, was supposed to be some kind of intellectual. Then fucking think it through, dude. Think it through. Why would there be a rise in cries for socialist policies from young Americans aside from the fact that they're spoiled little brats? Did they could they not find their bootstraps to pull themselves up? I don't know. Maybe bootstraps aren't t- trendy today. Did they not take enough personal responsibility for you, Ben? And Brett, come on, guys. Like, think this through and be intellectually honest. Is it that hard to is it that hard to be intellectually honest? Zoom out and look at, huh? What are the justifiable reasons for this shift? But you can't do that. You got a straw man like children. You get a straw man and play the victim like a fucking child. And then you expect people to respect you for that. Like Ben Shapiro doesn't even argue with adults. The only person I've ever seen him like have an actual debate with was Anna Kasparian, and he didn't even win that debate. But he'll go to a college and yell at some 19-year-olds with bad ideas or respond to TikToks because that's the best use of his time. So yeah, I think it's kind of clownish, and I think it's kind of childish, and I think that you guys could grow up just a little bit and really reflect and have a conversation that doesn't have to do with facts don't care about your feelings. Well, I just showed you a bunch of fucking charts. Those are facts. Are they not facts? That's data. It doesn't care about your feelings. Would you like to reflect on that, sir? Or are you going to blame China? Are you going to blame Marx? What is it? Is it Russian disinformation? Are you Rachel Maddow now? Give me a fucking break, guys. I would like to think you're better than this, but you just keep proving me wrong over and over again. But I guess, hey, maybe I'm the asshole. Who knows? Well, uh, Don Lemon pissed me off again. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not even introduce this. Let's just get right into it. About such weighty subjects here with you when you come on. But there is something we want to show you. It's about a weighty subject, admittedly, but I'm curious uh, whether or not it makes you smile a bit. So watch this. This This is a TV host talking about vaccines. You damned anti vaxxers, gaggle of morons, stop with your bullshit and at least put on a goddamn mask and stop hitting the brakes for the entire world. Yes, you anti-vaxxers. You are a moron. Put on a face mask. (laughs) That was not on Don Lemon tonight, by the way. (laughs) 
Could it be? I was going to say it could have been. I mean, I've gotten criticized for saying that we need to stop listening to the people and they, they should not be part of um, polite society, so to speak. You cannot expect. By the way, he is all of us. You know, I want to get up. I want to say, you're yes! jealous. You're jealous now, right? <laughs> I'm mad as hell and I'm not taking it anymore. Basically, that was that moment. He's right. He's right. Listen. The unvaccinated people in the U.S. are key to the to the uh, reason that coronavirus, the variants, are emerging. That is 100% false. There has not been one major variant that has come from the United States, and it has zero to do with unvaccinated people in the United States. Delta came from somewhere else, and Omicron came from somewhere else. We don't have the population density or the population to create major variants in this country. So that is a lie. A flat out, straight up, that's misinformation, Don. Um, and that the reason I'm looking at the stats from the CDC and the reason why it's replicating and, and mutating, it's because of unvaccinated people. Again, not true. Who are doing their own research online. I can't do my own research better than experts who's, who have devoted their lives to medical and, and scientific research. When I tell people, I said, you know, they'll say, well, I've been doing the own, my own research. And uh, last week I was in Miami. I said, how did you get to Miami? I flew. That's science. Okay, so let's break down that retarded fucking argument. Um, air travel, flight, lift, right? Propulsion is not the same as bodily autonomy, Don. Okay, let's just put that into perspective. Like right now, I chose not to get vaccinated. Okay, I chose that for myself. I didn't want to start a fight with anybody. I didn't really, wasn't really concerned with anybody else, what they decided to do. I think lots of people are better off vaccinated. Great. I think based on just the sheer numbers and the data, it just didn't seem like that big of a threat to me as a healthy, younger person who has spent the last, I don't know, decade and a half dedicating my life to being a healthier person, right, who has healthy lungs, but this and really is kind of a a pharmaceutical interventionist interventional minimalist, right? I don't like surgical interventions if they're not necessary. I'll try everything outside of surgery to do something. I'll try everything outside of pharmaceutical interventions. That's just how I've lived my life for the past decade. This is not like this is not something that I picked up in 2020 and was like this is my hill to die on. Like this is something I've been dealing with. I was talking about regulatory regulatory capture um, and the and the rise in obesity when I was in college. Like the FDA and, and the corruption that exists. Like this is something that I've, been, I've cared about deeply for a long time. So for you to tell call me an idiot and say that I don't belong in polite society because of a decision that I chose to make about my own life, uh, I think that's, that's 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 wildly inappropriate. And to compare a vaccine to flying is one thing. Now, let's use some examples. Let's use some real-life examples as we break this down. Uh, right now, my wife and I are going through IVF. IVF is science, is medical science, and it's great, right? So within that container of IVF, there's a handful of things that have to happen, right? You have to go in. It's a surgical intervention. Uh, they had to pull the sperm out of me with a needle in my sack. It was very uncomfortable. In that experience, I used anesthesia. I did not want to use anesthesia. I was convinced it was the right idea, even though after the fact, I decided I would never do that again. The consequences of anesthesia on me personally were very harsh. I had a very hard time with it for several days. I couldn't podcast. I couldn't do my job. I couldn't really think clearly it, for about a week, over a week. Actually, I was really kind of foggy. It was rough. 
And I would have rather just dealt with getting my sack lidocaned and having them pulled that way, even though it'd been more painful because the recovery from that, uh, that, that procedure was mostly to do with anesthesia, not from the actual procedure itself. Right. Just the same way that I did have pain or did have headaches and they gave me hydrocodone to deal with that. I opted not to take the hydrocodone. I didn't take any pain medication at all. That's the way that I live my life. So to ask someone like me who lives this kind of life, right, who has these kind of values to then take a, a, a vaccine for a thing that has a 99.99% survival rate for someone of my age and health bracket, probably higher than that, to be completely honest with you, is a little bit silly. Right, it's a false equivalent to compare flying to a vaccine. And look at this: like Vioxx is science, Oxycontin is science. Like these are all science. The nuclear weapons are science, right? The Manhattan Project. Like that doesn't mean they're good. Like science is not a synonym for good. I don't understand why that becomes the situation. Another thing I'm dealing with right now: I go in on Tuesday uh, to have PRP injections in my knee. That is science. What the mainstream science would have said is that I need to go get surgery on a torn meniscus in my knee. But I went a different route, something that's not covered by insurance, and looked at PRP and stem cell injections instead, which have high efficacy. But the reason they're not covered by insurance is because of regulatory capture and politics within the healthcare industry. So instead, I'm going in on Tuesday morning, having my blood drawn, they will spin that, pull out the uh, platelet-rich plat uh, platelet plasma, and then inject that into the tendons and the connective tissue in my knee and some in my spine. That is science. There's a lot of science. There's a lot of imaging. It's also not really the establishment narrative for what is necessary for my knee. So I made a different decision for myself. Do you understand how complicated nuances this is? Don, I know you're not listening to this, but if you were, could you maybe understand kind of where we're coming from here and looking at things and zooming out and trying to make the best decisions for ourselves, even though I've had a couple of surgeons and someone else be like, hey man, you need to get surgery on that knee. But in doing my own research and understanding that most meniscus surgeries don't really do that much. And a lot of times the actual healing that comes from meniscus surgery is from the inflammation caused by the actual surgery and not the procedure itself. Well, that changes my opinion on things, and I want to try a different method. Just like knowing that there are outstanding therapeutics to deal with COVID, and if I were to have an adverse reaction, that I would have the resources to be able to take those other therapeutics if it were an, if I did have some kind of bad reaction to COVID, that it wasn't really necessary for me to get the vaccine. Knowing that natural immunity is more robust, and that is very common science within virology that is not necessarily disputed. It's not settled because settled science is not really that much of a thing as much as everybody wants to believe that it is but knowing that I in my situation based on my circumstances would have other options I chose those other options and I know you don't like to pretend that those options exist but those options are great and I'm not talking about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine I'm talking about monoclonal antibodies right who have shown outstanding effect efficacy and yeah is it is it science yeah but not all science is created equal man like not all interventions are created equal. And based on the way that I've lived my life up to this point, I'm doing what makes sense for me and making my choices. And it's not, you don't have a right to tell me that that's not the right thing to do. You're not a doctor either, Don. And the people that I'm listening to, people think that like, if you decide not to get the vaccine, that you're listening to like these fringe people, right? No. Yeah. Well, I listened to Malone on, on Joe Rogan's podcast. Sure. And Sanjay on Joe Rogan's podcast, right? I'll also listen to Z-Dog MD and Vinay Prasad and Rob Wolf. 
You know, I don't think, and I've, this is this is something I've, I've I've believed for a while, and I've seen it come come to fruition that general physicians, right? These doctors aren't really great at keeping people healthy or helping people get healthy. They're they, they're good at prescribing pharmaceutical drugs to treat illnesses, and that's the majority of their job. But if you want to talk about science, like it wasn't that long ago. What was it, 10, 15 years ago? That we thought fat, the macronutrient, made you fat. That was bullshit science. That was bullshit settled science. What we know now is that that's not the case. If you eat a diet that prioritizes protein and fat, you're way better off than prioritizing what was settled science just 10 years ago in the food pyramid where 60% of your, of your caloric intake came from carbohydrates. That's the product of corruption and regulatory capture. In the same way, that the FDA gets 45 to 60% of its funding from pharmaceutical companies, and that creates an environment for regulatory capture and bad information that you are now regurgitating. So if you want to play me like I'm some kind of fucking idiot because I don't agree with you, that says way more about you than it does about me, Don. Let's keep going. <laughs> so if you don't believe in science, why didn't you walk, right? If you, it's Well, because I can't always follow the science. That's the reason that you're here. That's the reason that you don't have polio. That's the reason we don't see polio cases. That's the reason why we don't see smallpox cases is because your parents had the wherewithal and the sense to get you vaccinated as a child. So well, I don't we're told that they had to. That you had to. Because yeah, when we were kids, uh, I think there was a the total number of vaccines that you got as a child were like something in 15 to 30. And I think right now, and again, fact check me on this, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's around 160. So unless 130 new illnesses just popped out of nowhere, uh, there's been a pretty exponential increase in the number of vaccines that are given to infants. Just, to, just something to think about. Because what? We have to start doing things for the greater good of society and not for idiots who think that they can do their own research or that they are above the law and they can break the rules. Australia, Novak Djokovic, Australia said, no, 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 no. Novak has uh, natural immunity because he has gotten the virus and recovered from the virus. So just like Vinay Prasad said, right? If you survive the virus, now a lot of people won't survive the virus, right? If you're unhealthy or you have some kind of adverse re response from the virus, you won't survive it. So you won't get natural immunity because you'll be dead, right? Your corpse, my guess, might have natural immunity, whatever, right? But if you, if you survive the virus and you move on, you have natural immunity, which actually is more robust than what you get from the vaccine. So there will be an asterisk next to whoever's name uh, actually wins the Australian Open because he was, as a top contender, not allowed to participate. We're going to look at the greater good of everyone in our society, and you're not part of that. We don't care that you're the number one tennis player in the world. And good on them because they are keeping their population and their citizens, people who want to be good citizens, they're keeping them healthy and safe and alive. And not for someone who thinks that they can come in, do their own research, get covid Spread it to other people, not where... You can uh, spread COVID to other people with the vaccine. So I don't know why, what that has... So the thing is, like, if you're unvaccinated, you can spread the vaccine, the, the virus to other people. And that's not okay. But if you're vaccinated and you spread the virus to other people, that is okay. Weird. Masks, like the guy, the, the TV presenter said. And then infect all of us and keep all of us in the house or from going to work or from being able to do what we want to do. That's 
So it's not actually the people that are keeping you from doing anything. It's the the regulations, the mandates, the authoritarian leanings of the leadership in certain areas, like where you live, Don, um, that are doing that. It's not actually me. I'm not. I'm not. I would prefer for you to be able to get out of your house. I'd prefer people to be able to live. I'd prefer that I could go to a concert. I would change a lot of things. If it was up to me, you wouldn't be stuck in your house at all, bro. Like it has nothing to do with me. I, I wash my hands of that situation. Not me. Not my thing. That's your decision to do that. And the people that you support decide that that's the best thing for you. Not me, dude. That's it. I'm done. I'm off. <laughs> okay, so that's Don Lemon there. Now, I mean. Again, I, I'm trying to do my best here to kind of keep a level head here. I think that's actually the, the best way I can serve anybody or do anything here is to keep a level head on this stuff. But if we just, I mean, just breaking that down based on me being, you know, a loud mouth on the internet, like it was pretty easy to just dismantle everything he had to say, even though he was challenged 0%. And he's a coward. He won't go on someone's, he won't, he will not take his time to go on someone's podcast and defend himself and defend his views and defend what he has to say. Go on Joe Rogan's podcast, dude. Then, uh, you scared? Are you scared? Like what's the what's the possible what's the worst possible outcome if you're so confident then go on the Rogan show dude, I'm sure he'd have you on right now. You could jump the line. I don't understand why you wouldn't, unless you're unless you're a coward. Because if you're gonna sit here if you're gonna sit here and villainize a large segment of the population and here's the thing everybody thinks everybody thinks and a lot of times it is delusional but everybody thinks what they believe is for the greater good pro-lifers believe that what they think is for the greater good pro-choice people believe that what they think is for the better good anti-gun pro-gun pro-war anti-war everybody thinks what they're doing is for the greater good that is a subjective value measure that you project onto your reality through your lens of perception okay so like yeah through your lens of perception, that's the same. That, that's what you think. Okay, cool. I get that. I respect that. Whatever you think, dude. But that's not the way that a lot of other people see the world. And what makes the United States such a great place is you have a bunch of different people from a bunch of different cultures with a bunch of different experience with a bunch of different uh, lenses in which they view the world, which makes it a very robust and diverse place, which makes it a great place. And when you try to, to tamp that down and defeat that, you're really diminishing what the, the beauty that this country is and what it's created. Now, I'm as critical of the United States as anybody else, but I do know where beauty exists. And it's in the diversity of experience, the diversity of, 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 of perspective that exists in this country. And to me, that's a great thing. But when it gets weaponized and, uh, you know, you find it personally advantageous, which is the only way I can see this is that it's personally advantageous for you to villainize people. Um, when you see that and when you, and when you, that becomes, you know, your method, your way of being, your method of getting attention, your, your method of validation, which is a, which is a driving force of human behavior. Well, then it makes sense as to where you got where you are, but I think you should be held to account and, and defend your beliefs and defend what you have to say in a long-form conversation if you want to be taken seriously. Because right now, I don't consider you a serious person at all. But hey, I'm just some asshole on the internet. We're going to wrap up the state of things today with um, some drone strike footage. Now, this is really hard to watch. So for, the, I mean, for those of you, I don't think this even has any sound. So for those of you that are just listening, I'll try to explain it as best I can. But I recommend going watching the video version of this. Um, for those of you that are watching, just a heads up, but this is pretty tough. Um, 
This is the drone strike that the Biden administration uh, okayed during the withdrawal from Afghanistan. The complete shit show. Also, the best thing that Biden's done in his presidency is get us the fuck out of there. So we've got this situation. We've got more warmongers on both sides trying to get us back over there, back in, some, in Iraq or whatever, or Iran. God knows what's next. You know, it's war hawks everywhere just running the fucking world. But this is an interesting situation because this guy was an aid worker his whole family pretty much was blown to pieces by a drone strike, and they called it a uh, righteous a righteous strike, I believe. Um, there's been zero accountability. Nobody's been fired, and there's more to it. But let's let, let's watch the video first, and then we'll dive into um, dive into some other thoughts before we move on. So we see here the building. They're very tight buildings. They're very in there. This video was taken the final hours before American troops withdrew from Afghanistan. The botched U.S. drone strike in Kabul. So right here we can see people on the streets walking around, doing their thing. We see the target. And then boom. Damn. That's hard to watch knowing there was like eight or nine kids that just blew up. The military previously called this strike an honest mistake. I'm sure those kids really care a lot about your honest mistakes. The U.S. Department of Defense released these videos after a FOIA request. <laughs> yeah, surprised they even did that. This is the same attack from a different angle. So we see the car pulling up, which was carrying water for his family that they perceive to be weapons of some kind. And then, boom. This aid worker and his family, dead. Small children, beautiful children, too. The Pentagon said no U.S. military personnel were, will, would be held accountable for the strike, of course. And if you think this is the only one, this is a common occurrence. The majority of people killed in drone strikes are civilians. So let's kind of break this down a little bit. This upsets me as well. I saved it for the last, the end of the show here. Um... Biden tried to show strength and recover from his shit show. And that resulted in the killing of a family, 10 people, 10 innocent people, many of them children. No one's been held to account. No one's been fired. There's also been zero financial support for the family that is left. That family, what's left of that family wants to move to the U.S. Won't allow it. Zero financial aid, zero support when the breadwinner for their family was blown up in a U.S. drone strike along with many children of their, in their family. These people should be brought to the United States, be given a personal apology from the military leadership and the president of the United States publicly and taken care of. They should have to worry for nothing for the rest of their lives, for their entire family. And that should be the case whenever we kill a bunch of fucking civilians with a goddamn remote control airplane from someone in Nevada playing Call of Duty with real lives. I didn't realize that Team America was a fucking documentary. But more and more, the more and more clownish our military becomes, the more I see Team America World Police, created by Trey Parker and Matt Stone, who birthed South Park and basketball 
made a fucking documentary about the United States military. And if you think I'm full of shit, go watch Team America. ISIS and the Taliban want to kill Afghanis who support the U.S., right? That's one of the big things that we say that they want to do. So in order to circumvent that reality, we kill Afghanis and their families who support the U.S., aid workers who are bringing food to people who were displaced by our messy bullshit and our war crimes, and not one single person will be held accountable. God bless America, I guess. Land of the free, home of the brave. Now, with all that being said, it's time for me to give you a little something to think about. There's been a battle going on in the United States, maybe a little bit of a civil war, a cold civil war. I'm calling it the battle of protectionism. Left versus right, conservatives versus liberals. I've said many times in this show, there's no freedom party. There's no party that's pro-freedom. There's parties that are pro-freedom within their moral frameworks that they will then impress upon you as if it's their right to do so. That's a thing. That exists on both sides of the political spectrum. But there's no pro-freedom party. What we have is two groups of elites, the ruling class, if you will, that are convinced that it is their responsibility to protect you and me from ourselves, I guess. Vaccines, gay marriage, guns, abortion. You see, no one really thinks in those echelons of people that you're actually capable of making your own decision and knowing what's best for you. You see, because people use guns to commit crimes, everybody who has a gun is a criminal, I guess. And you need to, you need to be protected from things that are dangerous. Right now, if DuPont poisons your water, they won't be held accountable because capitalism. But if you Wanna wanna uh, you know wanna buy an AR-15? Well, you're a criminal, and you're the problem. And if you don't want to get vaccinated for your own personal reasons, whatever they may be, you're a villain because we're trying to protect everyone. And if you're not ready to be a parent and you get pregnant, well, the conservatives thinks you should be in an internment camp. And, you know, gay marriage is going to uh, degrade and erode the foundation of our nation. So we need to protect you from that. It's a battle of protectionism. So when you dilute yourself into thinking that there is a party in this country that is pro-freedom, and now at this very moment there might be one that's more pro-freedom than the other, but that won't last long, and don't fool yourself into believing that it will last long. It's a battle of protectionism. It's a battle of one group of people 
versus another group of people who think they're working for the greater good. And the funny thing about that is people pursuing the greater good usually comes at the cost of people like me and you and our friends and our families. (sighs) It's sad to watch it. It's sad to see it. There is no pro-freedom party that has any foothold in this country. And I hope with all my heart that one day in my lifetime, I'll see it. But as far as I can tell, the battle of protectionism will persist. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Make sure to support our sponsors and go over to patreon.com slash politically homeless for bonus episodes, ad-free content, and early releases from Thought Criminals, the new interview show dropping soon. You guys are great. So funny, man. When I was done with this vertigo, I was like, I cannot keep my head on straight. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's the tagline for my show. (laughs) Keep your head on straight, and we'll see you next time. Love you guys. Bye-bye.